Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. <laughs> I'm taking the dog, dumbass. <laughs> no, there's a little bit more of a pause. I'm taking the dog. <laughs> dumbass. Dumbass. You look like a hot dog. You make me want a hot dog. You make real me want a bad. hot dog real bad. Well, everybody, you've seen, now you've heard every gay person's favorite thing to do, <laughs> which is impersonate Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Trail Mix by Gays at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. (laughs) (laughs) If you're joining us for the first time, Trail Mix is the short format episodes of our show. While our long format episodes explore one hiking trail and one national park, one park at a time, Trail Mix allows us to dive deeper into things we didn't get to cover in our long format episodes. That's right. And this Trail Mix episode is all about the wildlife in Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Prior to visiting Theodore Roosevelt National Park in July of 2021, we were told by countless folks that the hikes are great and the wildlife is even better. Okay, so what have been some of your favorite wildlife spottings in national park spaces? Well, there was that grouse that we saw that like we sort of followed up the trail in Glacier. There was the moose sightings, both moose sightings in Grand Teton, because we oh, got two true. on both hikes that we did. We did. Yeah. We, we got the one through the trees. In Painted Canyon. In and, pa- um, no, yeah. that was the first one. Paintbrush Canyon. Paintbrush Canyon. Yeah. There it was. And then there was, oh, the other moose, mm-hmm. like down closer to the parking lot yes with the baby moose yes okay yeah, yeah and we were that. headed up um to the amphitheater lake hike yeah note that you didn't mention the like the group of bears nope, in didn't. grand teton national park you I, didn't you weren't here for that i wasn't surprise surprise there were black bears and grizzly bears together mm-hmm. and they did run up the tree which we later found out meant danger mama danger. bear sensed danger so she sends them up a tree mm-hmm. there were the santa catalina island foxes uh, 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 
um, Channel Islands. The Channel Islands foxes were some of my favorite. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, it's really tempting to want to touch them and pet them. And give them food. Give them food and do not. I mean, they will walk right up to Mm -hmm. you and like nestle themselves up against you. And they're just looking for food. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, they're playing like possum in the cute way. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) they're like, and they know how to do it. Please give us food, sir. Please give (laughs) us food, sir. Look at my face. Mm -hmm. It's so cute. You make me want a hot dog real bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's all back to Jennifer Coolidge. I'm trying to think about other wildlife experiences that I mean, obviously the wild horses in Theodore Roosevelt National Mm -hmm. Park, um, but we're talking about that, so I figured that we would save that. Also, the baby deer in Cuyahoga Valley Mm -hmm. National Park was very special. Also very special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was wonderful. Oh, we saw a bald eagle at Glacier Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Bald eagle flying overhead. Oh, and the mountain goat that was like right next to us. Yes. That we got yelled at. Oh, yeah. That mountain goat was close. Yeah. And then the. You're a person. You know how to do what you you need to do. The mountain goat does not, which is true. (laughs) It's true. That's true. true. We also saw a bald eagle in. Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. There was one perched on a tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we've had a pretty good run of wildlife within the parks, for sure. For sure. And I loved how Theodore Roosevelt National Park gave us even more to put on that list. Yes. Theodore Roosevelt National Park is on the traditional and stolen lands of the Mondon, Hidatsa, Arikara, Crow, and many other indigenous people. This park is named for the 26th president, Theodore Roosevelt, who served as president of the United States from 1901 to 1909. I guess you had to do some research on that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Presidential history blind spot. For a deep dive on how the process of establishing national parks, national monuments, and Teddy Roosevelt's role in the establishment of that process, go listen to our trail mix from two weeks ago on the Antiquities Act. Upon becoming president in 1901, Theodore Roosevelt established five national parks, 18 national monuments, 150 national forests, 51 federal bird reserves, and four national game preserves on over 230 million acres of public land. Now, we want to be clear, we've not come here today to celebrate the life and work of Theodore Roosevelt. We do unpack the reality of his life and depth in our trail mix without a trace. This park is named after him, and he did personally contribute to the shape of conservation within the American government, so we share that with you today to provide context rather than a celebration. Theodore Roosevelt National Park was established in 1978 by President Jimmy Carter. The land that comprises the park had originally been earmarked by the federal government for leased grazing and rehabilitation, and was also originally part of the Little Missouri National Grasslands. The diverse wildlife that the park is known for has been long a part of this area of land. Visiting Theodore Roosevelt National Park allowed us and all of those who visit the chance to get up close to wildlife in a natural habitat. The wildlife found in Theodore Roosevelt National Park include mammals, reptiles, and can I get a drum roll, please? Birds. For the record, the park is a great park for birding. I wasn't actively birding at the time when we were there, but all the more reason to go back. Let's start with the mammal population. The first is bison or buffalo. While Yellowstone National Park is known for its bison and the opportunity to see bison fairly up close, and in some cases for some people as evidenced by videos on the internet entirely too up close, Theodore Roosevelt National Park is also known for its bison population. We saw bison from I-94 as we were approaching the park and driving the loop road in the south unit, and they were as close as they were when we saw them in Yellowstone. They also roam in the north unit of the park. As a reminder, do not get too close to bison. They will react 
and you will end up hurt. Bison, or buffalo, were a deeply important resource for the indigenous communities who inhabited and inhabit this area of land. This area of land contains some vast, sweeping bad land. This was ideal for hunting bison because it didn't require a shot from a bow and arrow. It only required hunters to corner the bison near a cliff where it might run directly off the side. The indigenous communities of this area made use of every part of the buffalo for food, clothing, shelter, tools, medicine, toys, and decor. For a more in-depth look at the history of bison across this land, also called America, go listen to our trail mix from last season on buffalo. Another population that thrives in this area, also known as Theodore Roosevelt National Park, are deer, specifically mule deer and white-tailed deer. Mule deer are more common in this area and, like most deer, can be seen in the evening and early mornings. They are often found grazing near park roads or near juniper groves. White-tailed deer, who keep similar hours, are less common and more often found near campgrounds. They have migrated from the east due to a growth in their population and have found a home in this area of land. Now, I wouldn't call myself a deerer, but I do think But a doer? (laughs) But a doer, Mm -hmm. yes. But I do think it's important to be able to identify the difference between mule deer and white-tailed deer. So here we go. White-tailed deer are the most common of deer. If you've seen a deer on the road at night where you live, more than likely it was a white-tailed deer. They have a sleek coat of hair and the underside of their tail is white. Whereas mule deer have a shaggier coat of hair and while their tail is also mostly white, it features a black tip on the end. Also, a white-tailed deer perks its tail up when it senses danger. A mule deer doesn't do this. If you've ever seen a deer on the highway and it had its tail perked up, it was probably a white-tailed deer. While there are some differences in color variations on their face, they are most differentiated by their antlers and their ears. White-tailed deer have antlers that grow out of one main antler stem, whereas mule deer have antlers that grow multiple stems and just keep splitting and forming new antlers. Mule deer antlers can have multiple, multiple points. We also saw some taxidermied mule deer at the restaurant we ate at in West Yellowstone. And their antlers were huge. Yes. And we ran across some mule deer on the Devil's Garden Trail in Arches National Park when we were there in 2017. And finally, mule deer get their name from their larger ears. So if you are out there and you see a deer and think, wow, those are some big ears, then it's probably a mule deer. And I think it's important to note that we actually saw no deer at all in Theodore Roosevelt National Park. But if you do, now you know what you're looking at. And next up, we have wild horses. This was a very special moment when we saw a herd of wild horses on the South Unit Loop Road. Mike, you had a moment here. Tell us about the moment and what it was about these wild horses that has stayed with you. Well, if you've ever seen like a shot where Vaseline coats the lens and it's very dreamy. Yes. (laughs) Think of Seven Wonders, the music video. Um, No, it was, I just think that they're, you're used to seeing horses in a very specific setting, um, whether it's at a riding facility or if you you've ever been to a horse racetrack, horses are seemingly domesticated animals, or at least for the most part, that's been my experience with them as domesticated animals. So to see them in the wild like this, and to just kind of happen upon them, it just was a very, very special experience. I don't know, something ignited in me that I don't think I ever knew was there before when it came to horses. (laughs) There must be something there that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. Mm -hmm. The only place to see wild horses in North Dakota is in Teddy Roosevelt National Park or Theodore Roosevelt National Park. The herd of wild horses currently in the park has been there since the mid-1800s. Technically speaking, since they are in a protected area, they would be considered feral horses rather than wild horses. But honestly, wild horses sounds better. So the term has stayed. That's why the Rolling Stones song isn't feral horses. (laughs) (laughs) Feral horses wouldn't drive me away. No. Wild specifically refers to the fact that the horses are not domesticated, meaning there is no stable or feeding area of any kind or intervention from humans, except in one instance, which is if they determine that a horse can no longer survive living in the herd. They will remove the horse from the herd and transition them into a domestic situation. The horses travel together in groups of about 5 to 15, which is what we saw. Mm -hmm. When we saw them, there were around 10 horses together. In total, there are around 170 wild horses in Theodore Roosevelt National Park at the time of this recording. We cannot talk about the wildlife in Theodore Roosevelt National Park without talking about prairie dogs. Okay, so the prairie dogs were a surprise for me Mm -hmm. because I didn't know we were going to see prairie dogs at Theodore Roosevelt National Mm. Park. This was, uh, did you know this ahead of time? I don't think so. I don't think until we were there and we had talked because we had stopped by the visitor center prior to doing the loop road because we had done our early morning hike on the petrified forest loop. And so I don't think until we talked to the ranger did I know that that was going to be something that we were going to see. I feel like after we talked to Brad and Grandma Joy about it, and I feel like there is a funny story about them with prairie dogs and I'm reaching. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, I'm not remembering the details of that either. Right. But she was close to one of them, I think. Something happened. Something happened with one of them. But now it was all coming together. Like when the park ranger was like, you'll pass by these prairie dog towns. And that was, um, oh my God, If (sighs) prairie dogs are so cute. I can't stand it, right? Like, obviously I don't want them in my house, but like, and they shouldn't be. But I can acknowledge that like, wow, they're so lovely. Mm -hmm. So they're sort of on par with the Santa Cruz Island foxes, which I did say earlier as Santa Catalina when we were talking about previous wildlife experiences, but it's Santa Cruz. They're sort of on from par. From Channel Islands. From Channel Islands. The prairie dogs are kind of on par with the cuteness of those Santa Cruz Island foxes. When chatting with the park ranger at the visitor center, we learned about the prairie dog towns in the south unit loop road. There is one in the north unit, but it's not as visible from the scenic drive. It's about a one mile hike from the Cap Rock Cooley Trail. Once land has been thoroughly grazed, it becomes prime prairie dog real estate. The prairie dog towns look like an arid, sandy patch of land, sometimes on a hill. Upon first glance, we almost missed them. Then we saw the burrowing holes. Then we noticed the prairie dogs emerging from them. Do not miss driving by the prairie dog towns when visiting Theodore Roosevelt National Park. We've never seen anything like this in any of the other parks we have visited. Prairie dog towns are also a place for other wildlife that we didn't get to see, but are sometimes found in these areas, including owls, making their dens, bull snakes, which I'm sure you're glad you didn't see, and prairie rattlesnakes in the abandoned bureaus. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Mm -hmm. um, If we ever opened like a like a high-end men's <laughs> um, wear company or had a cologne, it would be called Snake and Bear or Bear and Snake. Bear and Snake. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like the yeah. name. Mm-hmm. I like the name. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that we're on the subject of snakes, mm-hmm. okay, we did, we personally, we saw no snakes while hiking in this park, thankfully. There have been other parks with snakes. This is, was not one of them. But that does not mean that there are not snakes there. Bull snakes and racers are common within this park, as well as prairie rattlesnakes, which is the only venomous snake in the park. And they are there. 
Wee! We also saw pronghorns while hiking the Petrified Forest Loop. Pronghorns are the fastest animal in North America, and they are seen often in the Little Missouri National Grasslands, which is abutted to Theodore Roosevelt National Park. We talk all about seeing pronghorns from the trail in Episode 90, the Petrified Forest Loop. It's worth mentioning some of the other wildlife that can be seen in Theodore Roosevelt National Park that we didn't see. Coyotes are more heard than seen, but can sometimes be seen near prairie dog towns, and probably not because they want to be friends with prairie dogs. No, I can't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Longhorn cattle can also be seen here. There's a small herd in the north unit, preserved as a cultural resource, and can sometimes be spotted around mile marker two on the north unit loop road. There is also a population of elk in the south unit, who are often in the southeastern section of the unit and can sometimes be seen from I-94. There are also beavers, badgers, and porcupines, which is the name of the Outdoorsy Gay Adventure Company I'm going to open. Beavers can be seen near the water in the north unit along the Little Missouri River. Badgers can sometimes be seen in prairie dog towns, and porcupines are sometimes seen crossing the road later in the evening. And now the time has come. It's time for the birds. Mm-hmm. Dusty doesn't love birds because um, he's enamored with them. He saw the birds by Alfred Hitchcock as a youth, and it's stuck with him ever since. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's and right. also Moira Rose um, in the, in the, the crow's crow advice. The crow's advice. Uh, the the crow crowing has become a personal um, hero of his. Sure. Mm-hmm. There it's we true. go. Mm-hmm. Yes. Apparently, this is an amazing place to bird. Mm-hmm. Didn't know this at the time. Well, you weren't fully immersed in your birding. No, no, no. I had mm-hmm. not. I had not bl- Bloomed. No. Yeah. The birder you in yet, me had not you bloomed. Yet young, coquettish youth. Yes. It was this trip that made me, like, at some point in the trip, I went, yeah, I got to get the tools for that because, like, it's happening now mm-hmm. and I need to just follow the, the instinct. Uh-huh. But um, we weren't doing that then. No. It makes sense that this is a spot for birding since Teddy Roosevelt himself was a birder and created 51 federal bird reservations. And in 1923, there was a bird sanctuary named after him in Oyster Bay, Long Island. Can you do that with more of a Long Island accent, though? Oh. And in 1923, there was a bird sanctuary named after him in Oyster Bay, Long Island. There you go. Now, we didn't see any birds at the time because neither of us were identifying them. Because birding is like osmosis. If you're around someone who birds, it's not hard to catch on and keep up. And you've done this. You've sent me photos of birds you're identifying in your own life, too. Sure. Common grackle. <laughs> you did. Which sounds there was, like... There were some outside like of your insult. room. There yeah. was some outside of your classroom. Mm-hmm. You you're like, a common grackle. <laughs> well, they're just outside mm-hmm. grackling. Grackling. <laughs> Cackling and grackling. That's right. Okay, so let's start with some trails that are great for birding in Theodore Roosevelt National Park. These include the Painted Canyon Trail, the Big Plateau Ekblom Trail Loop, and the Colvain Trail... So we did the Colvane Trail and the small loop of the Painted Canyon area, and we wish we could say it was great for birds, but we're going to have to take other people's word on this. There are 186 species of birds that have found to be living or passing through Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Let's start by mentioning some fairly common birds that are also found here. They include American crows, Baltimore orioles, American goldfinch, American robins, black-capped chickadees, blue jays, barn swallows, chimney swifts, common ravens, eastern bluebirds, northern cardinals, red-winged 
blackbirds, chipping sparrows, lark sparrows, mallards, gray catbirds, great blue heron, rock pigeons, and red-tailed hawks. I felt like Amber Atkins there. <laughs> <laughs> Alabama. A-L-A. <laughs> that is a drop-dead gorgeous uh-huh. <laughs> reference, everyone, from that movie from the... <clears throat> 90s West Virginia W E S T 1999 mm-hmm. Yeah okay so these are all birds that I mean if we walked long enough outside Mm-hmm. where we are right now, we'd probably see a lot of these birds. Mm-hmm. So the birds on this list can be seen in many places throughout this land, also called America. I see these birds often in my walks in the morning, and we've also seen them down where Mike lives too. Now, here is a list of birds found in this park that aren't incredibly uncommon, but you may see less of them when taking a walk in your neighborhood. These include eastern screech owls, which is just Mike in bird form. It's true. Yellow-headed blackbirds, yellow warblers. These are so cool because they're almost entirely yellow with some black on the wings. Western tanagers. I love these. They have a yellow and black body with an orange head. They're really cute. Tennessee warblers, ruddy ducks. There are these ducks with blue bills. Mountain bluebirds and indigo bunting. These look very similar. The mountain bluebirds breast is um, lighter. They're both like entirely blue, uh, but the mountain bluebird's breast is a little bit lighter and almost white. The indigo bunting is entirely like bright cerulean blue, and um, it's got some black on its face and its wings. Horned larks. These are very cool, too, because they have yellow and black faces, and they look like they have tiny little horns. Ferruginous hawks, bullocks orioles, belted kingfishers. They are blue, and they look like they have a mohawk. And golden eagles. Golden eagles are often seen soaring above at the River Bend Overlook in the north unit of Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Eagle trapping is also an important spiritual ritual to the members of the Mondon and the Hidatsa people. Okay, so clearly there's more wildlife to see at Theodore Roosevelt National Park, and we only saw a handful of it. But, you know, all of the more reason to go back. What's some wildlife you would hope to see upon revisit? Well, I guess birds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, lots of birds. When there you're will be leading a birding trip, day. Yeah. Expedition birder over here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's happening. It's all happening. Mm-hmm. I think I would love to see some badgers too. Hmm. I'd have, I have never seen a badger. I've never seen a badger in the wild. Or I've, a porcupine. I think I've seen porcupines before, but I've only seen badgers in like a zoo situation. Mm. But yeah, that would be really fun. Mm-hmm. Also golden eagles, obviously. We were talking about yeah. birds. And like there's a lot of birds on this list I haven't added to my life list yet because mm. I haven't seen them. So would like to see them. And um, yeah, so hopefully next time. The sources for today's episode include the NPS, nationalparkstraveler.org, American Museum of Natural History, audubon.org, and the Cultural Affiliation Statement, an Ethnographic Resource Assessment Study for Knife River Indian Village's National Historic Site, Fort Union Trading Post National Historic Site, and Theodore Roosevelt National Park, North Dakota, by M.N. Zedeno. And now let's end this episode with some Jeopardy-style trivia. Mm-hmm. I just needed to find a suitable alternative for, for Jacqueline. Jacqueline. Then that James Holt's job was just so absurdly overpaid. Paid. She couldn't resist. But the truth is, no one can do what I do. No one. <laughs> the magazine would suffer. I could go all day, mm-hmm. all long, all day long with us. <laughs> okay. All right. So here we go. <laughs> here we go. A little Devil Wears Prada break, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, are you ready for this 
category of Jeopardy, Mike? I am imagining it's bird related. <laughs> it is bird related. What a freaking shock. <laughs> it is called, um, sometimes birds are, get their name from like a literal description, like red winged blackbird, sure. yellow headed blackbird, right? Mm-hmm. So this is called literal description of birds. Great. And I'm going to describe these birds literally by what is offered in their name and you just have to guess their name great but i'm not gonna say like it has red on its wing Mm -hmm. and it's a black bird Mm -hmm. and then you have to it's a little different sure 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 now all of these birds are birds we either mentioned or birds i know that you know great here we go for 100 this bird gets its name from the red white and blue bunched fabric that is often put out during the fourth of july only catch is that there's no red or white what is an indigo bunting? That is correct. <laughs> That's right. We get how this you goes. You know why? Because I can listen. <laughs> That's right. Here we go. For 200, this bird gets its name for its ability to consume an entire building where farm animals are stored. What is a barn swallow? That is right. <laughs> <laughs> you just barn swallowed that. I did. Yep. Mm-hmm. For 300, this bird is known for being born in Italy and then coming to Hollywood and making it big and winning over the hearts of everyone. What's the Lady Gaga? (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine? Uh, You know that, like, if you discover a bird species, that'll be the bird's name. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Born in Italy. Italy is the country inside of what continent? European starling. There you go. Uh A European Mm -hmm. starling. A starling is born. (laughs) A starling is born. If you don't know a European starling, everybody, it's a blackbird with a tan beak. And then the males have this, like, at least their summer plumage is, because they have summer and winter plumage, meaning their feathers look We're different. diving deep, guys. <laughs> um, in the summer, they're, like, gorgeous and iridescent and speckled. And, like, they're still black, but they're, like, beautiful. Anyway, for 400, this bird gets its name for its ability to clean a fireplace passageway quickly. What's a chimney sweep? What is chimney swift? That's correct. There you go. And finally, for 500, this bird gets its name from its royal status while out on the river catching trout. And rather than a crown, they wear this stunning fastener around the waist. What's something kingfisher? That's right. Uh, Is it just kingfisher? Kingfisher is the second word. So it's um, a belted kingfisher. That's right. Mm-hmm. Don't wear that, that belted outfit. <laughs> <laughs> Is that from... That's from 30 Rock. 30 Rock. Right? I have a lot of belted outfits. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to bird early and bird often. And the birding is always out there. Mm-hmm. Gaze at the National Parks <laughs> was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. <laughs> to see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com. To find out more about the parks visited on the show, visit our website, gaze at the National that's gaze g-a-z-e all original artwork featured on instagram on the website and in our gaze shop is by me michael ryan all original music was written and performed by dave seaman and mariella klinger with sean sclios on guitar our music producer is skylar fortgang this episode
episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey.